Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. With each episode, our diverse and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention, together, to breathe, to reflect, and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice that we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. Are you interested in advertising with the Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com. In honor of this year's Super Bowl, we've put together a special episode featuring the many guests we've been pleased to welcome to the show, all of whom have, however long or however briefly, had the honor of playing in the National Football League. We begin with Jim Steig, former Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer of the San Diego Chargers from 2004 to 2010, and before that, he spent 35 years with the NFL, 26 of those in charge of the Special Events Department, where he became known as the man who branded the Super Bowl, expanding the event from a championship football game into a week-long extravaganza. In this clip, Jim addresses the way certain aspects of the modern event we know came to be and evolved over the years. First Super Bowl, I went to Super Bowl X when I had just started to work for the Dolphins, and I sat in the corner of the end zone in the upper deck, and it, it was, you know, it was the, the biggest game in professional football at that point in time. It probably wasn't even as big as things that we had in Miami, you know, the Orange Bowl or the Rose Bowl or things like that. It was a, it was a football game that was isolated. It was a championship game. There were some things that were added to it. You know, little halftime shows were there. We were probably competing with the halftime show, trying to get as good as the Orange Bowl halftime show in those days. But it was all about, you know, the game. So the focus was on making sure it was the best possible experience. That was the intent and the planning of P. Roselle, you know, then the commissioner and the one who was involved, certainly when it started back in 1967, that he wanted it to make it something that was kind of, melded the entertainment business together with the sports business. So we spent a lot of times in the first 13 years going back and forth between Miami and Los Angeles. Miami, you could say, is New York South. Los Angeles is Los Angeles. So, you know, whether it's the thinking of the Jackie Gleason show or whatever you had in L.A. And so there was a lot of us. But it was a football game and you were trying to make it the biggest football game there was. It really developed from them through a variety. I'd like to say they were all well, well thought out measured plans. The thing that made the game so great and, and part of what changed it was going from Miami to Los Angeles, New Orleans thrown in there. You were in the same places. And once we started going to Tampa and Detroit and San Diego and, you know, Houston and run down the list, each one of those brought something new to the equation that you could make the game even better and grow the game. And that's that's part of what it was all about. But I think the first big change we had from an entertainment standpoint was when we went to Detroit and we talked about the national anthem the previous year had been sung by Helen O'Connell. I'm sure it's on your hit parade. I'm not sure how many people remember Helen O'Connell. I went to Pete and we said, well, you know, we're going to Detroit. Let's, let's step it up a little bit. Let's try something. There's only one person that could sing the anthem of Detroit and it was Diana Ross. Mm. And his response to me was, yeah, go ahead, kid, give it a shot. <laughs> he had no chance. Went and called on her and absolutely she did it. You know, that involved the anthem now from being, okay, just somebody to now all of a sudden being a star, uh, you know, a, a celebrity of major note. 
that's out there, you know, the Billy Joels and Barry Manilow's and, you know, run down the list of those people that were chart toppers. But I mean, I think that that shows the, the change in how that took place. And then the halftime show evolved because they weren't our partners at the time, but Fox ambushed us in 1992 with a show they called In Living Color, which went live during the halftime show and went right opposite us trying to steal part of that audience. And we sat down the next year saying, well, we can't let this happen again. And so we went after what we thought was the biggest name entertainment at the time, which was Michael Jackson. Mm -hmm. So that was the beginning of the change in the halftime show. You know, Sandy Gallon, who was Michael Jackson's manager, couldn't tell you if a football was pumped or stuff, you know, uh -huh. no idea what we were talking about. And so you go there and, and that you get this false sense when you're dealing with the, the Super Bowl and the NFL is that everybody knows about the Super Bowl and everybody knows about the NFL. And then you find out that there are a number of people that don't know. And that was the case we had with Sandy Gown and with Michael Jackson. They didn't know what it was. So like any kind of business approach, you're selling yourself with something and you go in and you make a presentation and say, let me tell you what this is. Let me tell you what the TV ratings are. Let me tell you what the type of crowd it is. Let me tell you who's in the crowd. Let me tell you what this is going to be broadcast, you know, internationally. And really, in the case of Michael, that was the thing that made it work was when we told them, well, this is going to be broadcast in 180 different countries live. And you could see his eyes right up and say, you mean this is going to be broadcast in places I'll never give a concert? And we went, absolutely. And, and that was kind of the thing that mm. put it over the edge with him. But it's like all those things, all these people that you're talking to to get them involved. And I saw this so many times with entertainers that they just think, you know, I've, I've played stadiums, you know, I've played whatever it is. Uh, this is nothing. And you get them, you get them out there and they get in the middle of the field and they start doing it. Go, this is a little bit different than what I've ever done before. You can hear Jim's full interview in episode 139. Next, we hear from Sean Harper, a seven-season offensive lineman with the Rams, the Oilers, the Colts, and in NFL Europe, sharing the importance of team culture. You played in the NFL for the Rams, Oilers, Colts, and then over in Europe. Yes. How long? That was a total of seven years all combined. Three in the NFL, three and a half over in NFL Europe. So pretty close to seven years. And then today, CEO of American Services and Protection, which supports people with individual protective services, right? Yeah, it was just a no-brainer for me, being an offensive lineman, to be able to carry this over to protecting clients like I protect running backs and quarterbacks. That's brilliant. That's such a great analogy. Your clients are your quarterbacks. That's right. I went to a junior college in Mason City, Iowa. Right. It's like 26,000 blonde hair, blue eyes. Everyone's last name is Schneider. Okay. I'm in the cornfield. <laughs> I'm in the cornfield. Totally different mindset. I'm, 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 where am I? Now, check it out. If you call the seed potential, then the soil is the culture. And I was able to germinate that seed in a different culture. Everything that was placed in me once you put it in a certain situation and circumstances, it begins to germinate. And unfortunately, and this is, man, this is bad, but unfortunately, a lot of people, they're not able to change because they're not able to change their culture, their environment. And that's the one of the first things associations have to change. Mm -hmm. the people you hang with, people who, who you talk to, people who, who you consult with, it has to change. 
If we put our energy on the culture of the family, the culture of the workplace, the culture of our community, man, I tell you what, you could take an average, a sub-average seed and turn it into a bumper crop. Look at the uh, recent Super Bowl champions, the Rams. Now, understand this. Von Miller was considered to be a washup. Odin Beckham Jr. was a washup. The starting quarterback was with Detroit. He was a washup. The left tackles played that game. He played with, guess who? Cincinnati. They got rid of him two years ago. He was a washup. What was the difference? The difference was the culture. The Rams have and have and has an amazing culture to take these individuals, these tainted seas, whatever you want to say, and turn them into bumper crops. Hmm. Creating that culture is, first, you have to redefine it as this is a winning culture. Okay, we are here to win. Now, win now fosters automatically teamwork. It fosters collaboration because we're all working together for the win. And everyone who participates, whether this much, this much, or a whole bunch, is appreciated, respected, and honored a lot of times the same. The kicker, he celebrates as if he was the quarterback. He ain't scored no touchdown. No, we scored a touchdown. In the locker room, in the culture, the win is the win is the win. And everyone's excited and everyone participates in. And that's what has to be accentuated in corporate. What's going on with the PR? What's going on with HR? Are they winning? Well, then you ain't winning. Hmm. The entire culture has to win together or we lose together, period. You can hear Sean's full interview in episode 414. Next, we hear from Johnny Quinn, a professional speaker and former professional football player with the Buffalo Bills and Green Bay Packers, sharing his path to the NFL and the moment he considers the peak of his football career. A very successful college career, but nobody wanted to draft me on draft day. And so shortly after the NFL draft, I had my first free agent contract come in from the Buffalo Bills. I'm 22 years old. I signed a three-year deal for $1.2 million. I am fired up to be in Buffalo if you're trashing <laughs> with me. You know, I've got a chance. And I remember getting to Buffalo, getting all of my NFL gear to see my name in an NFL locker room. It, it was unbelievable. We get out to practice. I'm day three with the Bills running routes and snap, my hamstring goes. And I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. Day three into my childhood dream coming true, a, a hamstring injury. And so, you know, the NFL, we, we joke around and say, hey, it stands for not for long. And boy, they had me on a flight back to Texas so quick. I was out of there. But that was the first time that somebody sat me down. They, they looked me in the eyes, crossed the table, and they said, Johnny, you're not good enough. We're not going to keep you around. We're not going to let you rehabilitate your hamstring. We do not think you can help us win. Today, we are cutting you. And when I heard those words, I, I didn't know how to process that. Because I had a very successful high school career, very successful college career. I get to the pros and suddenly I'm not good enough. And so I, I came back to Texas. My agent found a, a new team the following year with the Green Bay Packers. And so I, I get to Green Bay when Brett 
Favre retired the first time. <laughs> and I'm 23 years old. I signed a $1.4 million contract. I'm, I'm excited to be in Green Bay. Things are going good. You know, finally, I'm back on track. I get selected as offseason performer of the week. We get into the preseason. I have my first NFL reception on Monday night football (laughs) in in historic Lambeau Field. It was incredible. Johnny's full interview can be found by checking out episode 149. Next up is Matt Mayberry, a former NFL linebacker for the Chicago Bears, explaining how athletics provided him with a lifeline out of a troubled youth, eventually leading to his professional career. I'm a former teenage drug addict. You know, at 16 years old, I started to hang around with drug addicts, people that were committing crimes, robberies, um, even murders. Obviously, I wasn't doing those type of crimes, but those are the people that I was hanging around with. So ultimately, I adopted their habits. So right at 16, I've done every single drug you could think of besides heroin. My mother seen me do cocaine five times. My father's been an iron worker for the past 40 years. You know, the strongest man I've ever met throughout the course of my life. It's not 330 pound linemen that wanted to rip my head off in the NFL. It's my father. So to, to see him break down in tears and really just tell me, you know, Matt, is it something that me and your mother did wrong as parents? What did we do wrong as parents to go? We don't know if we could go down this road anymore. You know, but that's when I started to hear over and over again, athletics, athletics, athletics. So after I knew that athletics and really getting a division one college scholarship was really my only lifesaver, that would be how it would save my parents financially from all the money they spent. I knew that that was going to start the building blocks towards creating a bigger future for Matt Mayberry and as well as giving back to my mother and father for all their, their sacrifice, dedication and financial support that they've given me throughout the course of the, you know, those three years where I was living in such a dark world. And that's when I set a goal to get a division one college scholarship offer. It was in that moment in time. And I made a list of 50 things that I had to do. I had to run a four five 40 yard dash. I had to bench press 185 pounds, you know, 25 times. I had to reach out to these many colleges, you know, per day. So I started to create a game plan of everything I had to do. And it was that moment in time, working seven days a week, perfecting on my craft, getting better as a football player, you know, because I already got kicked off the baseball team. So the only sport I had left was football. And football wasn't a sport I was extremely excited about. Um, It was just a sport that I was, you know, naturally gifted at. I wasn't a LeBron James where you say, Matt Mayberry is going to play in the NFL one day, but I did have some natural God-given ability there. You know, I think that's where a lot of people, you know, why goal setting maybe hasn't worked for them in the past, that they might set some some huge goal that they're extremely passionate about. But behind that, there's no action plan as to how they're going to achieve that goal. And just like as a football team, you got to come up with a game plan as to how they're going to win the Super Bowl. Everything from practices is scheduled out to the daily meetings, to meetings with your position coaches. The same goes through in the, in the world of business and in the game of life. You need a game plan as to who do you want to become? What are the characteristics that you want to develop? You know, what are your values? What are your goals? All that stuff matters. And I think when I created the plan that really showed me one extremely important characteristic where I think a lot of people miss out on in goal setting is to really come up with a plan. Hear Matt's full interview in episode 155 of The Action Catalyst. In our next clip, Maurice Claret, former Denver Broncos draft pick, talks about his shock at being selected for the pros and why his time there was a brief one. 
So uh, I come to the NFL Combine two years later. I'm preparing, and I fail horribly at the Combine. And so I'm thinking to myself, like, man, I'm not going to get drafted. Like, there's no way this is going to happen for me. You know, I've sat out of football for two years. I performed horribly at the Combine. I'm not in the greatest of shape anymore. And just my heart just wasn't into the game. It was just like, you know, I got beat up so much just from media stuff and the ups and downs and just the, the rigor of going through uh, something very public. And so I was like, okay. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just watch the draft when it comes on out of curiosity. So the draft comes on, uh, first two rounds come on, and I'm seeing guys getting drafted and going up on the stage and families crying and all that stuff. And uh, this was actually making me more depressed because I was like just thinking like, man, that's supposed to be me. And so uh, we go uh, forward, and, you know, the ball's kind of rolling down the uh, road. First round goes by, second round goes by. I get in the car, I'm riding around uh, the 405, and uh, Denver calls me. Denver calls me, and they say, hey, Maurice, you know, we would love to uh, bring you out to make you a Bronco. Uh, congratulations, you know, uh, you know, the plane tickets to be there tomorrow. So I'm like, man, you know, the plane ticket to be here tomorrow. Life is great. Uh, you know, I can't mm-hmm. wait. Uh, get out there, pumped up on the left hand, but then on the right hand, I'm like, I know for a fact I'm not prepared. I think anybody who even listens to this, you know, some some of us have been given opportunities that we know inherently are in, innately that we're not prepared to uh, to steward. And the next thing you know, at some point, the wheels will fall off on this thing. And so I got out to Denver. I was out of shape, and, and the altitude didn't make it any worse. And, and one thing I didn't know, I didn't know how hot it gets in Denver. And so the combination mm-hmm. of all of that, you know, me being out of shape, uh, me having every bad habit you could possibly name, me having bad character, uh, all those things were just beginning to surface. And so, like, midway through camp, uh, Coach Shanahan calls me over and said, man, Maurice, you know, I know you had a tough time before you got here, and I know, you know, we would like to help you and support you. And they tried to pair me with a sports psychologist. And so, for me, I was like, man, I don't want a sports psychologist. Like, you know, what is, what is going to help me to talk to this lady? You know what I'm saying? And just totally blew her off and so we kept going on inside the season, and they tried to approach me again with the woman. So she set me down. She was trying to figure out what was going on, and I just rejected her again. I said, hey, lady, I don't want anything to do with you. Uh, not in a rude way, but it's like, you know, I'm cool. I don't want to do this. You know, I just didn't feel comfortable talking to her. And so, you know, the next thing you know, uh, the preseason comes around. I don't get in the games. They kick me off the team, and then I'm back out uh, to California, you know, as a, as a rejected uh, free agent. Hear Maurice's full story in episode 191. And finally, Will Bartholomew, founder and CEO of D1 Sports, also a former Denver Bronco, explains how the end of his NFL career wound up being a huge blessing in disguise. Grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, was an athlete, um, had, had a real passion for sports. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things I knew early on, this is what I wanted wanted to do and wanted to, to be. Then went on to the University of Tennessee, played a little football there, was the fullback on the 98 National Championship team, as you mentioned, got to be captain of the team, and then uh, had a sip of coffee in the pros. It's more business than like team-oriented than colleges. But that wasn't a mental shift because I was like, just do what, do what you've done before to be successful. And that's what I did. Like I got there, I was the guy late in the weight room and you know the coaches would pull me aside and go hey you're gonna make this team keep doing what you're doing and like i had all of that stuff lined up and then god threw me through (laughs) uh a little bit of a twist um and so i'm running down the field and so they they had cut the the guy behind me they had cut the guy ahead of me so and i'm i'm 
I'm coming into this going, man, I'm getting, I'm getting first team reps, second team reps. And, and I'm on um, two special teams. I'm like, I'm going to play a lot. Right. And I'm thinking in my mind, like, just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep having a great attitude and working hard. And I'm running down the field on air. I cut in my knee tears and my quad tears. Uh, I got my NFL PA number uh, and I got to be in training camp, but I blew my knee out in training camp, which I thought at the time was uh, the worst thing that could ever happen to me. And it felt like that for about six months. And then through that difficulty uh, was birthed this business called D1. I wrote a business plan while I was laid up about a place to train athletes, just like I had trained at the University of Tennessee, uh, where you could have expert coaches. Uh, you could have someone coach you through nutrition, uh, motivating environment, uh, the loud music, all the great things that I loved. And that's what I set out to create. Will's full interview can be heard in part number eight of the Action Catalyst's Redefining Possible bonus series. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and hope you enjoy this year's big game. Be sure to subscribe to receive the latest episodes the moment they are released, and you can listen to all of the episodes featured here at theactioncatalyst.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. And to stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and on Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. And thanks for listening. Newsly is an all-in-one audio super app for iOS and Android. It picks up the top trending articles on the web on topics you choose at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. The entire web becomes listenable for the first time all in one place. Browse articles from topics you choose and start playing. Stop scrolling and start listening. You can follow any topic as specific as you like from sports, tech, business, science, Bitcoin, or even the Kardashian. It'll find you the latest article and read them to you aloud. They have podcasts as well. Explore trending podcasts from over 80 countries. Our podcast is on there too. They even have digital radio. Download and use Newsly for free at Newsly, N-E-W-S-L-Y dot M-E, or from the link in the description. Use promo code CATALYST and receive one month free premium subscription. Alrighty, folks, welcome to the Transacting Value Podcast, where we discuss the value of values with guests of varying backgrounds and perspectives that we then nest over shared values. Now, we may not always agree as humans, but... We have to maintain a common understanding that each of us is experiencing life from different places around the world in various settings that culminate in our unique and different perspectives. Now, we are all living that process at the same time. So, to better identify the character of your character, join us every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time as we enrich each other's lives through mutual respect, civility, and transacted value.